It is generally recognized as one of the most impressive feats in human history, a wonder of the medieval world, which in itself is confusing because construction on this magnificent structure began long before medieval times. It was created by hundreds of thousands of people in different regions over millennia, is the world's largest military structure, and parts of it are visited by 50 million people annually, including hundreds of celebrities and world leaders, while other parts are unknown to even the locals. Until recently, it was thought to be much smaller than it actually is, and yet it is at least 50% smaller than it was 2,000 years ago. My name is Laura Taylor, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew. The, the Google expert, that's me. Yep, he's my pop culture guy. <laughs> Welcome to Digging Deeper with the Ancients. If you haven't already guessed the topic for this podcast, it becomes much easier when you eliminate the other huge ancient structures we've already covered. It is confusing that it's on the list of wonders of the medieval world and modern world, but not the ancient world. However, that's only because it was the ancient Greeks that made the original list, which you can hear more about in our season two podcast on that topic. Today, we are finally talking about the Great Wall of China. And if you've been with us since the beginning, you know that we did briefly bring it up in our second episode on the Terracotta Army, because the two have a connection through the first emperor of China, Qin Shi Huang. Before I get any further into this episode, I want to again apologize in advance for mispronouncing names, because there are a lot in this episode. And although I research how to pronounce most of them, that doesn't mean I end up pronouncing them correctly, as I have no experience with any Eastern languages. Although at least I've said Qin Shi Wang a lot. <laughs> so I, I should be close on that one. Unfortunately, the one thing most people think they know about the Great Wall, that it is the only man-made structure visible from space, and that it can be seen with the naked eye, is a myth. Even though this myth has been thoroughly debunked, it is still ingrained in pop culture. To start with, the wall looks a lot like the stone and soil that surround it. It is difficult to make out in most orbital photos. The view of the wall from the moon would be the same as looking at a human hair from about three kilometers or two miles away. So that's... It's pretty small. Yeah. It has been photographed from space, though, as have other man-made structures, such as the pyramids on the Giza Plateau. I think we've talked about them, too. Yes, we have. The wall is also sadly called the longest cemetery in the world, because in 2,500 years of construction, more than one million laborers were used, and the difficult work took many lives. It is estimated that 400,000 workers died, and some are said to be in the wall itself, although it is important to recognize that no evidence of this has ever come forward. Which actually makes me wonder whether evidence hasn't been found, or if it just hasn't been made public. 
but that's probably the cynic in me. It just seems unlikely. 2,500 years, there's no evidence of humans. You know what I mean? They also don't release very much information at all out of China. And that's that's what I'm saying. I'm basically saying I, I don't necessarily... I don't think it's a cemetery, but I also think there are probably human remains within it. Absolutely. Somewhere, whether they've been found or not. I'm not sure, but... It's like uh, any new construction in New York. There's a couple of bodies in there. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Sections of the wall have been named, renovated, and developed into tourist resorts that are visited by millions of people every year. In fact, there was even a toboggan run at one of the tourist hotspots. More than 460 world leaders and celebrities have visited the Great Wall. But those sections people know about and recognize as the Great Wall of China are a minority. The majority is lying wild, nameless, and near ruins, with many locals not even recognizing them as part of the wall, because they don't look like the stereotypical Great Wall we see in images. Right. They're more just mounds of earth. But what is the Great Wall? The Great Wall of China is an ancient series of walls and fortifications totaling more than 20,000 kilometers, or 13,000 miles, in length. Located in northern China, it is equal to half the length of the equator and is the longest feat of human engineering. In fact, it is one of the largest building construction projects ever undertaken. The Great Wall was continuously worked on from the 3rd century BC to the 17th century AD. It was the great military defense project of multiple Chinese emperors. Although named the Wall, it is not only lofty and solid walls, but also massive signal towers, barriers, barracks, garrison stations, and fortresses along the walls, together forming an insurmountable line for thousands of years. This long wall, just like a gigantic Chinese dragon, winds up and down across deserts, grasslands, mountains, and plateaus. It's not just a big, long, straight line, because otherwise, well, it would measure half the equator. (laughs) It would stretch (laughs) that far. It, It twists and turns all over the place. It begins in the East Hebei province and ends in the Gansu province to the west and covers 15 provinces and regions. The length of the walls built by different dynasties totaled 50,000 kilometers, however. The existing Great Wall, as determined in 2012, after lengthy investigations, is a little over 21,000 kilometers. That means half of the wall has disappeared over the course of history. That's kind of scary. Prior to the government-sanctioned investigations into the wall that began in the 1990s, the main body of the wall, excluding the various branches, was believed to be only 6,700 kilometers, or 4,100 miles, which is just mind-boggling to me. Although there are large stretches which make up about 25% of the total length that consists solely of natural barriers such as rivers and mountain ranges. These would have been considered part of the wall in ancient times, because they were sufficient in blocking enemies. 
Nearly all of the rest, which is about 70%, is constructed wall, with the remaining just stretches of ditches or moats. That's only about 5%. There is also the issue that a formal definition of what constitutes a Great Wall has not been agreed upon, making the full course of the Great Wall difficult to describe in its entirety. This is why it took up until 2012 to even come up with a length, an accurate length of the wall. Thus, they also used ground penetration radar and various new scientific techniques. Oh, and lots of satellite photos. Right. Which they can zoom in on then and try to determine how long the wall is. Yeah, exactly. You know how it's done. (laughs) For the purpose of this podcast, though, I'm going with the fullest extent of the structure, including natural and man-made barriers. Although I'm not including the hundreds of towns that were created along the path of the wall because those came out of necessity for living space of the workers as well as a result of using the wall as a trade route in later times. The altitude of the walls also vary greatly, with the highest point in a suburb of Beijing having an elevation of just over 1,400 meters or 4,700 feet, while the lowest point is just above sea level in the Hebei province. The collection of fortifications known today as the Great Wall of China has historically had a number of different names in both Chinese and English, with the first given to the entirety by the first emperor of China, being the Long Wall. Due to the first emperor's supposed tyranny, however, the dynasties that came after avoided referring to it by this name even as they added to it and continued construction started by Qin Shi Huang. Yeah, that's... <laughs> we don't like you, but your idea was kind of good. So... <laughs> exactly. The Great Wall is the most common emblem of China for the Western world, and a symbol both physical as a manifestation of Chinese strength and a psychological representation of the barrier maintained by the Chinese state to repel foreign influences and exert control over its citizens. This is kind of where you said about how we might not know if there's ever human remains found within the Great Wall because they try to keep foreign influences out, even if it's or not release information to us outsiders. The wall gives us great insight into ancient China as it reflects collisions and exchanges between agricultural civilizations and nomadic civilizations. It also provides significant physical evidence of the far-sighted political strategic thinking and mighty military and national defense forces of central empires in ancient China. And it is an outstanding example of the superb military architecture, technology, and art of the time. Overall, its historic and strategic importance is matched only by its architectural significance. So who built the Great Wall, or the multitude of walls that then later formed the Great Wall? A little bit of everybody, I guess. Yep. (laughs) Start with the simple beginnings. Some 20 states and dynasties contributed to to the construction of the Great Wall over the course of many millennia. Construction on what became the Great Wall actually started 
long before China was united under the first emperor. In fact, large parts of the fortification system date from the 7th through 4th century BC, when Qin Shi Huang didn't unite China until the 3rd century BC. So it was underway, parts were being constructed 400 years before the first emperor. So who built these early sections? Before China was united under one emperor was a time known historically as the Warring States Period. It was a time when China was divided into a number of smaller kingdoms that were constantly attacking each other, in addition to being raided by nomads from the north. Most of these states constructed walls as protection, although the early walls consisted mostly of hard-packed soil or stone. These walls were built to withstand the attack of small arms, such as swords and spears, and were later connected and added to. So the small walls did a decent job of blocking out small forces, but they're not going to... A handful of jerks. Yeah, they're not going to take on a mighty army. (laughs) There is no clear evidence as to who the first ruler to build a wall was but there were at least some walls and beacon towers before 771 BC, as the earliest record regarding the walls is the story of King Yu of Zhu. <laughs> King Yu of Zhu, who reigned from 795 to 771 BC, and it was the, the Zhu kingdom. He abused the war beacons and fooled the vassals just to amuse his favorite queen. This story implies that some walls were already well established by the time of his reign, but archaeological evidence of these early walls is incredibly difficult to find due to the natural construction materials and methods. And then, of course, a lot of them were just built on top of. They were just added to later on. In 220 BC, Qin Shi Huang, the first Qin emperor, completed his annexation of the various kingdoms and thus unified China. He masterminded the process of uniting the existing walls into a single defense system against invasions from the north. This construction project was called the 10,000 Li Long Wall. Li Long Wall. With two Li equaling one kilometer. It was one of the most ambitious building projects ever undertaken by any civilization and lasted about a decade. It is believed that roughly 400,000 soldiers, conscripted workers, and convicts labored on the project, with the soldiers also acting as guards against invaders. However, with the fall of the Qin dynasty, shortly after Qin Shi Huang himself died, as you as we talked about briefly in the Terracotta Army episode. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll pretend to remember. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, his son took, I believe his son took over, and then he didn't last long at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyways, with the fall of the Qin Dynasty, the wall was left largely unguarded and fell into disrepair. At that time, the wall was mostly made of local resources, round earth in the plains, and wood or stone in mountainous regions. Unfortunately, there are no surviving historical records from the time, so we don't know the exact length and course of the Qin walls. Most of the ancient walls have eroded away over the centuries, 
and very few sections remain today. The exact human cost of the construction is also unknown, but it has been estimated by some authors that hundreds of thousands of workers died building this portion of the wall alone. I also have to share this little story, because whether it's true or not, we'll never know, but it is interesting. It is said that the decision for this huge project was made due to a rumor, not any great military strategy. After unifying central China and establishing the Qin dynasty, Emperor Qin Shi Huang wanted to consolidate his power and rule the country forever. He sent a necromancer traveling to the far reaches of the earth, or the known earth at that time, to find a way for him to live forever. After countless empty-handed returns, the necromancer brought back a rumor, or in some versions of the story, it's a prophecy, that Qin would be overturned by the northern nomads. Upon hearing this, the emperor was so frightened that he immediately issued an order to connect the walls and extend new ramparts to guard the northern border. In the following 2,000 years, many dynasties continued to consolidate and extend the Great Wall, for not only defense, but also border trade management, imposing tariffs, and immigration control. Emperor after emperor strengthened and extended the wall, often with the aim of keeping out the northern invaders. In some places, the wall was constructed of brick. Elsewhere, quarried granite or even marble blocks were used. The wall was continuously brought up to date as building techniques advanced. Now, I'm just going to give a brief overview of the dynasties of China and what they did. No, I'm not mentioning every single dynasty because it's just way too much. And it's not my area of expertise. So the Han to, to Wan dynasties, which were 202 BC to 1368 AD. Oh my God, that rhymed, by the way. Han to Wan? Yeah. Well, I, I might not be saying that. It's way, y, Y-U-A-N. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, which from 202 BC to 1368 AD. The So first, the Han Dynasty from 202 to 618 AD, the Northern Dynasties and the Sui all repaired, rebuilt, or expanded sections of the Great Wall at great cost to defend themselves against Northern invaders. The Tang and Song dynasties that followed did not undertake any significant effort in the region since they were pushed farther south by northern invaders. The Great Wall was no longer wasn't the wall to them; it wasn't the, the border from the others. During the Wan, which is the Y U A N, or Mongol dynasty, this was when um, Genghis Khan came and took over. The Mongols controlled all of China as well as other parts of Asia and sections of Europe. This is from approximately 1206 to 1368 AD. As a defensive structure, the Great Wall was of little significance to them. However, some forts and key areas were repaired and garrisoned in order to control commerce and to limit the threat of rebellions from the Chinese and other nationalities. So it wasn't a border wall for them because, well, they were typically the ones the Chinese were trying to keep out with the the border wall. Mm. 
Now, that's a very, very brief overview of, like, 2,000 years. Next will be the Ming Dynasty to the present day, which was 1368 is when the Ming Dynasty started. The Great Wall concept was revived again under the Ming in the 14th century after failing in successive battles to gain the upper hand over the Mongol tribes in the north The long-drawn conflict was taking a toll on the empire, so the Ming adopted a new strategy to keep the nomadic tribes out by adding to and strengthening the walls along the northern border of China. So this is after Genghis Khan and his Mongols were gone from China, the Ming kept on having problems with other Mongol tribes, and so they built onto the wall again. Under the strong hand of the Ming rulers, Chinese culture flourished, and the period saw an immense amount of construction in addition to the Great Wall, including bridges, temples, and pagodas. Most of the wall that stands today was built during this period, from 1368 to 1644. The Ming Great Wall wound its 8,850 kilometers, or 5,500 mile, course from Hushan in the east to Jiahuang in the west. I'm sorry. So most of what we visit today, or most of what can be visited today, if it's ancient, it's the Ming Wall. So you're looking at like five to six hundred years old, not two thousand or twenty seven (laughs) hundred. Unlike the earlier fortifications, the Ming construction was stronger and more elaborate due to the use of bricks and stone instead of rammed earth. Sticky rice mortar consisting of sticky rice soup mixed with slaked lime was extensively used to hold bricks together. So the wall's pretty tasty then. <laughs> and this is when it starts looking more like and what you think of as a medieval wall, like medieval castles in Europe and right. stuff. This and is it's got the spires. And this is the brick and yeah. What what you see in the images for the Great Wall? Yes, this this is this is the stereotypical Great Wall, mm. but does not make up the majority of it. Right, it's the touristy part of it. Yes. <laughs> Up to 25,000 watchtowers are estimated to have been constructed on the wall. As Mongol raids continued periodically over the years, the Ming devoted considerable resources to repair and reinforce the walls. Along the wall were many strategic passes, or fortresses is another word for them, and gates that were of key importance in protecting the capital and were usually heavily garrisoned. The Ming also split part of the wall into inner and outer walls for increased security and built another more basic wall that enclosed the agricultural heartland of the Liaodong province. Towards the end of the Ming dynasty, the Great Wall helped defend the empire against the Manchu invasions that began around 1600. Even after the loss of all of Liaodong, the Ming army held the heavily fortified Shanghai Pass, preventing the Manchus from conquering the Chinese heartland. The Manchus were finally able to cross the Great Wall in 1644 
after Beijing had already fallen to the short-lived Shun Dynasty within China. So most of the takeovers were with from within. I mean, well, at least they kept the battle inside. Then <laughs> don't really have to worry about outside influence when he just fight within himself. Before this time, the Manchus had crossed the Great Wall multiple times to raid, but this time it was for conquest. The gates at Shanghai Pass were opened on May 25th by the commanding Ming general, who formed an alliance with the Manchus, hoping to use them to expel the Shun Dynasty from Beijing. The Manchus quickly seized Beijing and eventually defeated both the Shun Dynasty and the remaining Ming resistance. Consolidating the rule of the Qin or Manchu dynasty over all of China, and this is where the all the dynasties are confusing because the Manchus are also the Manchus made up the Qing dynasty, which is different from the Qin dynasty, but it's also just one letter off. <laughs> one has a G on the end, one doesn't. Anyways. <laughs> After the Qing Dynasty from 1644 to roughly 1911 or 1912, so up until the 20th century, after they replaced the Ming, there was a change in ruling strategy, wherein the Qin tried to pacify the leaders and peoples of Mongolia, Tibet, and other nationalities by not interfering with local, social, cultural, or religious life. Because of the success of that strategy, the Great Wall was repaired less frequently, and it gradually fell into ruin. Under Qin rule, China's borders extended beyond the walls, and Mongolia was annexed into the empire. So construction on the Great Wall was discontinued. On the other hand, the so-called Willow Palisade, following a line similar to that of the Ming Liaodang Wall, was constructed by Qin rulers. In Manchuria, its purpose, however, was not defense, but rather to prevent Chinese migration into Manchuria. So they tried to wall their people in. I'm going to go into a little bit on the design and fortifications. The Great Wall has three major components: the passes or fortresses, signal towers or beacons, and the walls themselves. Firstly, the passes or fortresses. Passes were major strongholds along the wall, usually located at key positions such as intersections with trade routes. The ramparts or walls of many passes were faced with huge bricks and stones, with dirt and crushed stones as filler. The bastions measured some 30 feet or 10 meters high, and 13 to 16 feet or 4 to 5 meters wide at the top. And the bastion is a projecting part of the wall that allowed for defensive fire in in several directions.、Mm -hmm. Well, you may know that, but yeah, I, I, I know. I yeah, we have to explain it for the regular people who might not know. Or me, I had to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only reason I know is because I watch a lot of movies where they. Talk about that. You're, you're a huge Lord of the Rings fan too, and、yeah. there's a lot of wall fights in that. <laughs> Yeah, it is described in the books. Ah, okay. Within each pass were access ramps for horses and ladders for soldiers. The outside wall had various battlements, and the inside parapet was a low wall 
about three feet or one meter high that prevented people and horses from falling off the top. In addition to serving as an access point for merchants and other civilians, the gate within the pass was used as an exit for the garrison to counterattack raiders or to send out patrols. Under the gate arch, there were typically a huge double door of wood. Bolts and locker rings were set in the inner panel of each door. On top of each gate was a gate tower that served as a watchtower and command post. Usually it stood one to three stories high and was constructed either of wood or of bricks and wood. Built outside the gate, where an enemy was most likely to attack, was a what is called a Wang Cheng. It's a semicircular or polygonal parapet that shielded the gate from direct assault. Extending beyond the most strategic Wenchangs was an additional line of protection called the Luocheng, which was a wall protecting the Wenchang. So there's a Luocheng, which is a wall, and then there's the Wenchang, which is a kind of a mini fortress type thing. And then behind that is the Great Wall and its fortress. And then there's the Wenchang, where everyone has fun tonight. <laughs> the Luocheng walls were often topped by a tower that was used to watch those beyond the wall and to direct troop movements in battles that waged there. Around the gate entrance, there was often a moat that was formed in the process of digging earth to build the fortifications. Now to the signal towers or beacons. Now some of these were known of back at in seven something hundred BC. This is one of the things that was talked about. Signal towers were also called beacons, beacon terraces, smoke mounds, mounds, or kiosks. They were used to send military communications. Beacon, which was fire or lanterns during the night, or smoke signals in the daytime. Other methods, such as raising banners, beating clappers, or firing guns later on, obviously, mm. were also used. Signal towers, often built on hilltops for maximum visibility, were self-contained high platforms or towers. The lower levels contained rooms for soldiers, as well as stables, sheepfolds, and storage areas. And you can see signal towers or beacons used in... The Lord of the Rings movies. Mm-hmm. Return of the King uses them. Yep. And the last major section of the Great Wall of China is the walls themselves. The wall itself was the key part of the defensive system. It usually stood 6.5 meters or 21 feet wide at the base and 5.8 meters or 19 feet at the top with an average height of 7 to 8 meters, which is 23 to 26 feet. Or it was a bit lower on really steep hills. The widest point is just under 10 meters, and the highest is 14 meters. The structure of the wall varied from place to place, depending on the availability of building materials. That makes sense. Yeah, unlike a lot of the ones we've talked about that hold materials Uh hundreds of kilometers they may have in later times but early on they definitely tried to use what was there because they had to yeah 
Walls were made of tamped earth sandwiched between wooden boards, adobe bricks, a brick and stone mixture, rocks, or pilings and planks. Some sections made use of existing river dikes, others used rugged mountain terrain such as cliffs and gorges to take the place of man-made structures. Much of the work on the oldest sections of the Great Wall were built by hand, though primitive technology such as wheelbarrows, ropes, basket and pulley systems, and horse or ox-drawn carts were also used. Now this next section I've kind of touched on a bit already throughout describing, but it's basically what was the purpose of the Great Wall? Well, the reason most rulers ordered the construction of the Great Wall or what later became the wall, was for protection, both from outside aggression, but also to preserve their culture from foreign customs. In the early Warring States times, they were likely more concerned with their Chinese neighbors than the nomadic raiding parties in the north. With good reason, considering Qin Shi Huang conquered his neighbors to unite China. And then after China was united, the wall was supposed to protect them from both nomads and more powerful emerging northern powers, such as the Manchu and the Mongols, which I've already covered, did both take over. (laughs) So the Great Wall was never, never very effective. (laughs) So are you telling me that building walls to keep people out doesn't work? Oh. Hmm. Well, it didn't appear to in China. Who knows? It doesn't you know, appear they only, to anywhere. Actually. They only had 2,700 years of practice and building. Yeah. Walls are usually good for keeping people in, like jails, for instance. <laughs> uh, but to keep people out, not so much. Just as the smaller kingdoms were conquered by Qin Shi Wang... Genghis Khan breached the wall with his Mongol army and subjugated North and Central China for nearly a hundred years, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then later, the Manchus that were north of the wall invaded, took over, and moved the borders of China to include areas north of the wall. Which is why, when you look at a modern map of China, the Great Wall is not the top of the border. It kind of goes to the middle. It's, It's... it's well, northern. Top, top it's northern-ish. <laughs> yeah, there are also some remnants of the wall in Russia, North Korea, and Mongolia. Apart from defense, other purposes of the Great Wall have included border controls, allowing the imposition of duties on goods transported along the Silk Road, regulation or encouragement of trade, and the control of immigration and emigration. That sounds familiar about a wall. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, the defensive characteristics of the Great Wall also meant that the path of it served as a safe transportation corridor. Now, how do we know all of this about the Great Wall? Lucky guesses. <laughs> yes, <laughs> all of it. No, first they dug a well. <laughs> it's been a while since I did that joke. Yeah. First, there's the obvious, the wall itself, as well as archaeological and scientific studies done on it or in the areas. Secondly, there are ancient and not-so-ancient written accounts by the Chinese, although none go back as far as the first emperor 
let alone the Warring State period. And most were not locals to the area where the wall was built, let alone there during construction. These accounts are likely far more accurate than the third type of evidence. Thirdly, there are foreign written accounts, although they are lacking. I'm just going to go into detail a little bit more about the second type, which is there was the great Chinese historian Sima Qiang, who I've actually talked about before. He wrote during the Han Dynasty, so 145 to 86 BC. He wrote historical records regarding the late Warring State period up until the previous ruler of the Han Dynasty. So although his writing is as close to the source as a written record goes for early wall construction, he was still writing hundreds of years after the earliest major construction, and hundreds of years before construction began on most of what we see today. There are also numerous ancient legends regarding the wall, such as the one I told you about, the Qin Shi Huang building it because of a prophecy or rumor, but there are little to no facts in these stories, and like any oral story, they've changed significantly over time. But with the third type, with the foreign accounts, none of the Europeans who visited China or Mongolia in the 13th or 14th centuries even mentioned the Great Wall. Now, for a little bit more detail on the lacking of the foreign written accounts, um, a lot of famous European writers did visit China in the 13th and 14th centuries, but they never mentioned the Great Wall. Then in 1346, a famous North African traveler who had heard about the wall before going to China decided not to go see it because he wrote that it was another 60 days travel from his destination and he couldn't find anyone who had seen it. Now, this suggests that although there were remnants of the wall at that time, they were not significant. Now, this was before the Ming Dynasty's right. extensive wall construction. So, so this would have been after it kind of fell into ruins and stopped being used much. <laughs> Soon after, Europeans reached Ming China by ship in the early 16th century, accounts of the Great Wall started to circulate in Europe even though no European was to see it for another century. Perhaps the first recorded instance of a European actually entering China via the Great Wall came in 1605, when a Portuguese Jesuit reached the northwestern Jiayu Pass from India. Early European accounts were mostly modest and empirical, closely mirroring contemporary Chinese understanding of the wall. Oh, again, it's very similar to with the Greeks and Romans, where they first started just writing the basics, like, this is how tall it was, this is what it looked like. And then as time progressed, they started getting a lot more flowery, I guess. <laughs> Poetic, you know. Right, like writers. Yeah. There were also claims by later Europeans that the Ming walls were the same ones that were built by the first emperor in the 3rd century BC, although we know this isn't the case. <laughs> when China opened its borders to foreign merchants and visitors after its defeat in the First and Second Opium Wars, in the late 1800s, the Great Wall became a main attraction for tourists, 
These travelogues further enhanced the reputation and the mythology of the Great Wall. That's when it became known to the world, basically, was the late 1800s. Now, what's the situation with the wall now? The Great Wall has long been incorporated into Chinese mythology and popular symbolism. And in the 20th century, it came to be regarded as a national symbol. Above the East Gate, or the Dongming, at Shanghai Pass is an inscription attributed to the medieval historian Xiao Xian, which is translated as First Pass Under Heaven, referring to the traditional division between Chinese civilization and the barbarian lands to the north. The Great Wall is, of course, an extremely popular tourist attraction, where hiking is probably the most authentic thing to do. Although camping on the wall isn't permitted, if you want to spend a night, there are guides that will take you to a watchtower to spend the night. In 2006, golfers promoting the Johnny Walker Classic teed off from the wall at Duoyong Pass outside Beijing. And in 2007, the French-owned fashion house Fendi transformed the ramparts into a catwalk for the Great Wall's first couture extravaganza a media-saturated event that offended traditionalists. <laughs> In recent years, we've been learning a great deal about this ancient structure. In 2009, 180 kilometers of previously unknown sections of the Ming Wall, concealed by hills, trenches, and rivers, were discovered with the help of infrared rangefinders and GPS devices. It wasn't until 2012 that the total length of all the walls built was discovered to be 50,000 kilometers. Before this study started in the 1990s, it was believed to be less than a third of this. Wow. Either way, that's still really long. Yeah. In 2014, a portion of the wall near the border of Liaoning and Hebei provinces was repaired with concrete although the work has been much criticized. Oh, well, yeah, that's not natural. In March and April 2015, nine sections with a total of more than 10 kilometers, or six miles, believed to be part of the Great Wall, were discovered along the border of the Ningxia Autonomous Region and the Gangsu Province. So again, more section of the walls are being discovered. Mm-hmm. Now, this next section is about the dangers to the Great Wall? The Great Wall is disappearing at an alarming rate, mainly for two reasons. The first is natural weathering. For thousands of years, the Great Wall has endured the ravages of the Gobi Desert. Plants growing into some walls accelerate its decay. Some walls and watchtowers are run down and likely to be destroyed by the next storm, while other sections have already collapsed and washed away into the river. The second is reckless human behavior. Before 2000, people in remote areas lacking the awareness to protect the Great Wall knocked down bricks to sell, stole them to build houses, or even dug holes in the wall to raise livestock. The plundering of the Great Wall, once fed by poverty, is now fueled by progress. In the early days of the People Republic of China, peasants pilfered tamped earth from the ramparts to replenish their fields and stones to build their houses. Decades of economic growth 
have turned small-scale damage into major destruction. During the Cultural Revolution from the 1960s to 1970s, miles of wall were vandalized or destroyed to make way for infrastructure, construction, and even industry. Then, from the 1980s to 1990s, people pillaged the bricks and sold them. It was common to see ramparts being reduced to give way to road or factory construction. There was no clear regulation on the conservation of the wall until 2006. Despite the wall's cultural significance, roadways have been cut through it at several points, and vast sections have suffered centuries of neglect. While some dismantled sections of the wall were subsequently rebuilt, most have not been, and others have been repaired using modern methods, such as the concrete. And most of these repaired sections using modern methods and material become tourist destinations. At one such location, visitors can buy t-shirts, have their photo taken on a camel, or sip a latte at Starbucks before even setting foot on the wall. Half an hour away, at another site, sightseers don't even have to walk at all. After being disgorged from tour buses, they can ride to the top of the wall in a cable car and go for a toboggan ride on the wall. (laughs) The Great Wall of China is on the list of 100 endangered sites issued by the World Monuments Fund. The renovated walls open as tourist sites cannot stand for the whole wall. In fact, less than 10% of the wall is visible to ordinary tourists. The real majority, which is more than 90%, are crumbling walls snaking between the mountains, undeveloped and poorly protected. So, what are we doing to protect the wall, or how is it being protected? Well, it was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1987. As a UNESCO site, the universal value of the Great Wall and all its attributes must be protected as a whole, so as to fulfill authentic, integral, and permanent preservation of the property. Considering the characteristics of the Great Wall, including its massive scale, trans-provincial distribution, and complicated conditions for its protection and conservation, it is extremely difficult to protect. The various components of the Great Wall have all been listed as state or provincial priority protected sites under the law of the People's Republic of China on the protection of cultural relics. The Chinese government has vowed to restrict commercialization, banning mercantile activities within 330 feet radius of the wall, and requiring wall-related revenue to be funneled into preservation. But pressure to turn the wall into a cash-generating commodity is powerful. The series of Great Wall Conservation Plans created in 2006, which is being constantly extended and improved, and covers various levels from master plan to provincial plans and specific plans, is an important guarantee of the comprehensive conservation and management of the Great Wall. China's National Administration on Cultural Heritage and Provincial Cultural Heritage Administrations, where sections of the Great Wall are located, are responsible for guiding the local governments on the implementation of conservation and management measures for the Great Wall. This sounds all well and good. (laughs) These regulations were intended to curb destruction and may be successful in some areas, 
since damaging the wall is now a criminal offense. Anyone caught bulldozing sections or conducting all-night raves on the ramparts, which is two of the indignities that it has suffered, now face fines. So if you've bulldozed the wall, you get a fine. And a slap on the wrist. The laws, however, contain no provisions for extra personnel or funds. Problem is not the lack of laws, but the failure to put them into practice. Enforcement is especially difficult in areas like Ningzu, where a vast 900-mile-long stretch of wall is overseen by a cultural heritage bureau of only three people. This means the officials can't monitor the wall closely and often only catch companies after they've blasted holes in the walls. Even if the fines for doing so are paid, that won't bring the wall back. Perhaps the greatest challenge, though, lies in the fact that the wall extends for long stretches through sparsely populated regions, such as this Ning Ningziach, where few inhabitants feel any connection to it or have a stake in its survival. Some peasants in these remote areas don't even believe that the tamped earth barrier running past their village is part of the Great Wall, insisting that it looks nothing like the stone fortifications they've seen on television. <laughs> and a Chinese survey conducted in 2006 found that only 28% of the population thought the Great Wall needed to be protected. I love ending on a heavy, sad note. And on to my Simpsons <laughs> reference. Yeah, this is going to be really sad. <laughs> In the current season of The Simpsons, airing right now, season 34, episode 2, titled One Angry Lisa. In the episode, Homer gets Mars a pedal-on stationary bike. And 15 minutes into the episode, she joins her instructor for what he says is a private ride. There's quotation marks around that. He has the Great Wall behind him on a green screen so that it appears that he is riding his bike along it. He speaks Mandarin and then explains that their pedal odyssey will take them on the Great Wall of China. The image Marge watches then changes to some other views of the Great Wall as the instructor says, Behold the wonders of China. Bitcoin mines, forced labor camps where children make smartphones, and romance. Homer comes home to find Marge on her private ride and decides he's going to kick the instructor's butt for trying to steal Marge. So he goes to the instructor's house and on Marge's screen, she sees her instructor beating Homer up on the Great Wall. Marge then has to save Homer by riding Lisa's bike over. So there's a funny joke here about her struggling to ride a bike without having a screen to look at. And this is where she discovers that her private ride was actually with multiple other women, and she starts kicking the instructor as well. Between her and Homer, they end up pushing him off of the wall. Well, this is a green screen, but they push him off of the wall, and he bounces on multiple jagged rocks on the way down, which mimics men the many times Homer has done this himself. <laughs> the scene ends with the instructor laying on the floor of his room, his apartment or house, by a stationary bike in front of a green screen, as Marge brings Homer home on Lisa's bicycle. I had to do some describing in that, because Absolutely. it's 
it's a few times it's in there, so. Mm. But that is that is my mm. Simpsons reference for the Great Wall of China. It's okay, I've got a couple more for you. Just going with the video games first, because, well, it's, it's a big thing in video games. In Civilization, it is in every episode, or every version of Civilization. And there's, what, six now? I have no idea. I, I, there's lots. Okay. Battlefield 2, Euroforce, the Great Wall is a map. In Age of Empires 2 HD, The Forgotten, it's in that. Age of Mythology, Tale of the Dragon. Plants vs. Zombie, Great Wall Edition. Temple Run 2, The China Edition, only in the China Edition, The Great Wall is a map. In The Simpsons game, Tapped Out, uh, in a 2017 update, the Lunar New Year, the Great Wall is a decoration. Oh! Asphalt 8, Airborne, the Great Wall update in 2014. Tekken 2, Eight Realms, Titan Quest, Tomb Raider 2, Disney Speedstorm, Angry Birds, The Simpsons, Bart vs. the World. Oh, you got a couple Simpsons references yep. that I didn't have. And Double Dragon 3, The Sacred Stones, the Great Wall is in all of those games. Wow. In DC Comics, it is in 44 issues, including seven issues called The Great Ten. Actually, The Great Ten, who lives in the Great Wall. He's a is an anti-hero or villain where he is, there's someone actually living in the wall. Okay. In Batman, The Brave and the Bold, season one, episode 26, Mayhem of the Music Meister. The Great Wall's in that. In DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Bebo, the God of War, Season 3, Episode 9. Smallville, Salvation, Season 9, Episode 22. Justice League Unlimited, Destroyer, Season 3, Episode 13. Justice League, Starcrossed, Part 2, Season 2, Episode 25. Superman, the 1988 TV series. By the Skin of the Dragon's Teeth slash At the Babysitters, Season 1, Episode 3, and The Hunter slash Little Runaway, Season 1, Episode 7. In Supergirl, Kara, Season 6, Episode 20. The Flash, Honey, I Shrunk, Team Flash, Season 4, Episode 12. The Death of Superman, the movie Death of Superman, 2018. Lego Aquaman, Rage of Atlantis, in 2018. Superman 4, The Quest for Peace... You can see Superman flying over the Great Wall. Justice League Starcrossed in 2004. And Justice League Dark Apocalypse War in 2020. That's how many appearances in DC the Great oh, Wall wow. Now let's look at the Marvel appearances. 35 comic appearances, including a comic called The 500-Year War, where the Eternals fought their biggest battle against the Deviants in China. And Cersei had to fix the Great Wall. So, and, and this is actually a comic that is a, a prequel to uh, the movie The Eternals. So, th The Great Wall is officially in the MCU. In The Fantastic Four, The Rise of the Silver Surfer in 2007. Yep. It's in that. And it is mentioned in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Option 2, Season 6, Episode 19, and that's it. Oh, wow. So, it's, but it's in the, it's, it's in the, it's in the, the, it's in the MCU. So, there's that. But DC does covers a lot more. Yes. Okay, so in American Ninja Warrior Japan, Sasuke 18, Great Wall is an obstacle that replaced the regular wall. And what? And if you've watched uh, American Ninja Warrior, 
there's the wall at the end of the first level where they run up and they climb up. The Great Wall, it actually curves backwards. So you actually have to run and jump backwards to grab the top of the wall to, to climb up. And actually, you have to grab a rope. So it, so it's they're not climbing the Great Wall. They're climbing... Something called a, the Great Wall. A stunt called the Great Wall. Yes. So, But it's named after yes. the Great Wall. In Futurama, the, cry, the cryonic woman in Season 3, Episode 3... Dora the Explorer, Dora's World Adventure. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, One Sweet and Sour Chinese Adventure to Go. That's the very first episode of that TV show. Who knew there was a TV show? I did not. It was in 1990. It was only one Ah, season. I was very, very young. Yeah. The Murdoch Mysteries, The Great Wall, Season 3, Episode 2. The Amazing Race, uh, the U.S. edition, has been there three times, uh, once in season one and twice in season ten. The Love Boat, China Cruise, The Pledge, East Meets West, Dear Roberta, My Two Dumplings, Part Two. That's season seven, episode two. Yeah, that's the title for that one episode. All that long? All of that. Oh, I thought you were listing off multiple episodes. No, that's one episode, because it's one of those TV shows that has multiple storylines. You don't give every storyline a name, though. They but apparently to. they, they did. used to, yeah. <laughs> An Idiot Abroad, China, Season 1, Episode 1. Magnum P.I., Payback for Beginners, Season 2, Episode 1. That's the new Magnum P.I., by the way. Oh, okay. Uh, Amazing Race Australia, Beijing. Yeah, that was in Season 2 of The Amazing Race there. In Johnny Bravo, A Walk on the Stupid Side, slash Lone Star Bravo, slash Toy Boy Jungle, Season 3, Episode 11. But that, that's there was also three different stories. Like, okay, like, so again, they're listing off all the stories. But, but the thing is, it's but it's three. It's like three mini episodes in one show. So that, that's why there's multiple names for those episodes because three episodes in one show. Okay, where the sim the way the Simpsons do it is they name the show itself and then they have basically subtitles for the different sections, which then I just give the subtitle of that section. Yeah, but I don't so. know exactly which section Johnny Bravo was in. Um, ah, okay. Because I didn't watch the episode. <sighs> I know. Transformers, Robots in Disguise, Koyuku, Diabozo Transformer, Season 1, Episode 12. Doctor Who, Flux, Chapter 5, Survivors of the Flux. You get to see the Great Wall. Yeah. And, uh, Doctor Who, uh, okay. I'm still doing Doctor Who. Episode called Marco Polo, okay. Serial 1, Season... Series 4, 19, from 1964, The Great Wall of Cathay. Okay. Uh, it was actually the the Doctor's daughter. Daughter? Granddaughter? I Granddaughter, remember. I believe. Yeah. Uh, she starts saying The Great Wall of China, and then, no, Cathay. So I don't know if they weren't allowed to say The Great Wall of China, but they called it The Great Wall of Cathay. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a short story called Childhood Living from 1979. Rose in 2005. Uh, this is still Doctor Who. Uh, Doctor Who comic in Fez Station in 2012. <laughs> and The Immortal Emperor in 2009. Now, in Star Trek, there's only one reference. And it's in Voyager, uh, episode called 1159, season 5, episode 23. Let me guess. Neelix asks something about 
He wants to know something about ancient Earth. Correct. Neelix asked Janeway what she could tell him about the Great Wall of China. Now a couple of movies. There's like one or two of those. The Great Wall in 2017, starring Matt Damon, Tianjin, Pedro Pascal. <laughs> I didn't know Pedro Pascal was in yep. that. Okay. The Bucket List, 2007. M. Butterfly, sense. 1993. Jeans, 1998. Tangy, 2001. The Legend of the Dragon, or sorry, The Legend of the Drunken Tiger in 1990. Sonic the Hedgehog in 2020. Oh yeah, he does. <laughs> he runs the Great Wall. Yeah. Transformers: Edge of Extinction in 2014. Mulan in 1998. Yep. The Karate Kid in 2010. That's the the reboot of the yeah. One with I was going to say that's not the original. The Mummy: Tomb of the Dragon Emperor in 2008. That was starring uh, Brendan Fraser, Canadian icon. Yeah. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs in 2009. The Fall in 2006. The Sorcerer's Apprentice in 2010. Hero in 2002. Another Jet Li movie. A fantastic movie. One of my favorites. Laura Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life in 2003. Around the World in 80 Days, 2004. And Genghis Khan in 1965. A couple of books. Overlord, it's a light novel series from 2010. Year of the Tiger in 2008. Last Survivor of the Great Wall in 2017. Uh, and The Emperor of the Dragon in 2018. Now, there's also been a couple of television specials that have been filmed at the Great Wall, including The Wiggles, Top of the Tots in 2004. Bob Hope, On the Road to China in 1979. The Great Wall Concert in 2005, which had Alicia Keys, Boyz II Men, and Cyndi Lauper. Okay. The Magic of David Copperfield, China. And I remember this episode. This is in 1986. He walked, well, he went through the Great Wall because it was an illusion. <sighs> the Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, Journey to Radiance in 2000. You'll notice... That they all took place before 2006, though, when the government tried to, because people were getting annoyed at all this mm -hmm. commercialization and everything of the Great Wall, and the government put in those sanctions that everything has to be done outside of a 330-foot radius. So the last of the, a lot of those were late, like, were close to 2006. Yeah, 2005, the Great Wall concert. Exactly. Was the there was a one. concert right before. So that could have been one of the last things to, yep. last big events that took place. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's all I got for, uh, for pop culture stuff. Um, now, do you have a question for this week? Well, my question actually kind of relates to the Great Wall. I was thinking about it and things like the Great Wall can be patched up with modern and renovated with using modern techniques. Now, is that preferable to them completely disappearing? Or like if the only option is to fix it with concrete, should we fix it? Or should we let it keep crumbling? I don't even have an answer to this because I agree fixing it with concrete is kind of sacrilegious it's oh my god how could they do that but at the same time the alternative is letting it crumble I'm not sure so the question or, is 
Should we use modern technology to fix ancient structures that are falling apart? Yeah, and well, and it's also altering them from their ancient. They're not really the ancient structure to, to fix anymore. Or alter. Yeah, because okay. it'd be different if we just use modern technology to put like if we create recreated these ancient brick. If we recreated the ancient bricks and made it look identical. That's a whole different story as far as I'm concerned. It is still a different, it's still not the ancient Great Wall, but it at least would look the same. Yeah. So it'd be, it'd be like, for instance, we go to Egypt and uh, we, we make it all nice and smooth again by using concrete and then plastering over it. Yeah. Should we do that? Probably not. Or, and the thing is, even but with the Great Wall, are there, possibly. The thing is, are there any other options? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, just what... All right, and yeah, that's, that's a great question. And if you want to answer these questions, you can find us in a few places. Uh, if it's still up and running, Twitter, you can. Get, <laughs> uh, we are at Digging Deep Pod. On Instagram and Facebook, we are at Digging Deeper with the Ancients, all one word. Or you can email us at diggingdeeperwiththeancients at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. Any other ideas or anything like that? If you have any other topics you'd like us to cover, just let us know. Um, we're definitely open. Yeah, we're we're, to we're looking for topics for season four, which will be happening next year. So uh, yeah, let us know what you want to hear. Yeah. And uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, rate, review, and share this with as many people as you can. It's it's the best way we can grow and. Uh, yeah, it, 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 we really like uh, all the support we have been getting so far. So thank you very much. Thank you. Ha- have a great weekend. Bye-bye.